You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. We explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. Today's guest is part of a growing number of former athletes who are now carving out a career in business. In fact, we just spoke with New York Yankees president Randy Levine about how he's seeing a lot of former players move on from playing to investing and having a lot of success. A lot of these guys have made a lot of money and they're good businessmen. And they have companies and, you know, they partner some of them with great private equity or other groups and they make, you know, sound investments. That was New York Yankees president Randy Levine on the business of sports not too long ago about how athletes are finding success after their playing career is over in business. A big high profile example recently is Serena Williams. She was on BTV and talked about bringing her winning attitude from the court to venture capital. You know, it's really about having a winning attitude and really just about um, understanding that you have to put a lot of time into this, you know, and you have to put a lot of effort into learning, but at the same time, understand that the hard work and the dedication, and then also that champion's mentality of like, I like winning. So if you do, what does it take to win? And it's really just figuring that out and applying it into this this part of our of my life. That's Serena Williams speaking to Bloomberg Television. But our next guest story goes way deeper. His family struggled with poverty growing up, and he's spoken about having a father who was at times abusive. Isaiah Kazavinsky was able to overcome that, going to Harvard and being drafted into the NFL. He had a nice career in the pros and now is diving into venture capital. Yeah, Michael, he is the founder and managing partner of a VC firm focused on sports technology by the name of Will Ventures. And he's here now to talk with us about all of it. Isaiah Kazavinsky, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Michael, Scarlett, Damian, appreciate you guys having me on. Great to connect. Tell us about Will Ventures. Yeah, so so Will Ventures is actually our, our second fund that we just closed. It's a $150 million fund. And it's a unique thesis that really looks at this perceived niche market of sports as a way to really, really as a lens to blow open into massive adjacent mar- markets across primarily consumer health and media. We're a seed stage focused fund, right? Super early stage. Um, you know, after friends and family money that would come in, like typically a pre-seed, but before kind of an A round. So leading, co-leading at that seed stage, uh, tight portfolio, investing with conviction, uh, really typically ownership uh, when our first check-in is typically around 10 to 15%, maybe even more. And really, really uh, uh, 
really following a strategy around modern portfolio construction, not a spray and pray model, but really a truly a feed the winners approach on those companies that are performing the best in the portfolio, continuing to invest from C to A to B. Uh, and again, like I said, true feed the winners approach around that. So $150 million fund, we've got an amazing LP base. Uh, we're institutionally backed, um, which I can kind of dive into more, but university endowments, foundations, those are our primary investors. And we've got several strategic investors, 17 professional team owners across four major sports, uh, dozens of elite athletes, uh, you know, former entrepreneurs have been successful and then kind of founders, managing partners at you know, private equity funds, hedge funds, venture capital funds as well. Uh, highly strategic is, is on that front. So mm. that's kind of the overall, uh, you know, kind of approach that we've taken at Will Ventures. Happy to dive into to anything else on that too. Thank you for giving us an overview. And VC, of course, is a form of private equity, except that, as you mentioned, uh, you guys invest in startups. So I want to get to the sports part of it, because sports has become kind of its own asset class, whether it's the media rights, the adjacent technology, health and wellness aspect. Is this something you hear investors identifying as specifically wanting exposure to sports as an asset class? I love that. It's an awesome question. And yeah, you can look through the lens, that question, we always try to look through the lens of, of an institutional investor, um, you know, kind of, you know, large cap capital allocators, how do they look at the world? In the end, they want to invest in not into you know specialized niche markets. They're investing to drive top tier returns, right? Into different asset classes, as you mentioned. So looking at it through that lens, and that is exactly the approach that we took to uh, building Wolf Ventures from Fund One to Fund Two, and the idea around you know looking at that lens via institutional capital how do we look at and it's all it's how we looked at the markets as well which kind of mapped out mapped out nicely of sports is truly a perceived niche market right it's typically been narrowly defined you know sports media entertainment in a really really small vertical for for a long time our thesis is really around how to use sports as that lens to touch those massive adjacent markets and really have a unique value add early in the company's life cycle, as you mentioned, on being able to do that. So what feels like niche or highly inflexible is actually a lot of flexibility in a way to diversify our portfolio, touch large, you know, typically generalist markets where generalist dollars are flowing, right? The largest funds in the world, the largest companies in the world, those are the types of companies that we want to invest into. So it, there's this natural diversification of a portfolio, uh, which really kind of helps us, you know, as we identify, add value in really on the road to how do you drive top tier returns in a concentrated strategy. So hopefully that answered your question, but that's exactly the lens that we had to look at for, um, you know, when we first started raising fund one, it was, Oh, sports. Yeah, you, know, you walk in a room and you're like, oh, sports, that's cute when we were trying to raise capital for the for the fund. But really telling this story that we can touch massive agencies was core to that. And I love that question. So Isaiah, you know, talk to us about that that LP base. You know, how involved are they with your portfolio holdings? You know, I've seen some of the companies here, Just Women's Sports, Lightboxer, I've seen Activate. Activate's a workspace for athletic departments at universities. You have a lot of endowments, you know, 
as LPs in the fund. Talk to us about how involved they are in, you know, helping some of these companies grow. Yeah, that's another great question. You know, for us, as we built, you know, an LP base from fund one to now growing into fund two, fund one was a $55 million fund. So almost three times the size from fund one to fund two, now $150 million fund really being strategic on the LP base that we brought together. Fund one was an unbelievably, you know, uh, heavy lift, right? Being able to really, really uh, educate our investors around, uh, you know, how we are really looking at the market, how we're attacking the market for that. But from fund one to fund two, how strategic of an LP base, uh, our investor base could we have is really, really important for us. So we, we have a highly active and involved LP base, um, whether it be from deals we're seeing in the market, right? Deal flow from our LP base. Um, think about, you know, as you look at universities um, and team owners and athletes and, you know, talent agencies, et cetera, a lot of them are seeing, you know, deal flow across the board. Our job day to day is identifying those markets, researching those markets and being able to kind of sift through that quickly. So, you know, in the end, we're in, a, we're in the, the business of we want to work with the most amazing entrepreneurs in the world, building the most businesses. And we don't want to miss that. Right. We don't want to miss those opportunities, connect with them as well. So having great kind of deal flow in that involvement, super important around that. And I think another thing you mentioned, which I think is really important, value add for our LPs. How, how can they add value uh, and across the board, whether it be kind of universities, team owners, athletes, uh, we've got great corporate relationships as well, connecting the dots, right? In the end, you know, venture capital is very different than private equity. Private equity, sometimes you go in and you actually run the business sometimes. Venture capital, having been entrepreneurs ourselves, me and my co-founder, Brian Riley, understand it's not necessarily about running the business, it's about how do you drive efficiency and connecting those dots. LPs have really, our LPs, our investors have really, really helped us connect those dots in a major way along with us as well. So amazingly helpful LP base, both on the deal flow side, the value add side. And the last piece on that bucket, I would say on the research side, what are you seeing in the market, right? What are you seeing in the front lines that we can add to our buckets of research that we have as well and to different markets, different areas of expertise. So we can, we can stay on top of that as well. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. 
That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Sports and technology is what you guys are really dealing with. And what that also brings in is that that helps bring in the the younger players, the younger athletes, the younger fans, for that matter. Can you take us through that about what it means to have the, the sports and technology marriage and what it means to bring the younger people into the sports? Absolutely. Um, you know, my co-founder and I, Brian, have been working on this for, for several years. And, you know, it's you're starting to see this intersection more and more of sports and a demographic, a younger demographic, as well as all the adjacencies that we look at. And the ability of sports you know, as an entity, but also the athletes that are really, really influences, influences in a major, major way, not only on the field, on the court, on the ice, wherever they may be, but also outside of that. And you're really opening up that mindset is something that is personal to me as you know, a former player, as you mentioned, played eight years. I was a lone wolf really being involved with businesses early on from, you know, when I was drafted in 2000 to really getting involved in 2003 into businesses and betting in the off season, learning how things are done. That is very much the norm now, right? With a younger uh, set of athletes continue to be able to do that. And they are front of mind is really how do you connect with your base? How do you engage in a way that really, you know, technologically hadn't wasn't even around when without when I was playing, right? So the world shifted. Um, there's kind of this digital native athletes now that are in the NFL or in or other sports, right? That can then now connect in a very authentic way with a and engage with a with a fan base uh, that you'd never have been able to do. That in and of itself, as you think about influence and all the areas that we touch, consumer, health, media, the ability to really, really intersect that and drive value early into a company and help tilt the playing field for a company with influence like that, super, super important. That's just kind of one example, but you know that way to resonate in a demographic that needs to be engaged long-term uh, as we see kind of skewing towards sports and engagement on some of the sports being, you know, in the 50s plus, right, uh, range, being able to truly engage in a different way is going to be super important. I feel like we can't talk about the business of sports without talking about live sports rights. And Bloomberg had a story earlier this week that showed the highest the annual cost of rights uh, was before 2000 was about $3.4 billion. And in 2023, broadcasters and streaming services will pay $15.4 billion. That is five times uh, what it was before 2000. My question to you is that we've seen these live sports rights skyrocket in value. Does that lift the valuation of all the other sports adjacent assets like sports technology, like sports health and wellness? And does it worry you that we're in a sports rights bubble? Uh, I love this question. Uh, this is something that is core to our thesis. We have an entire half of our thesis, which is really based around human performance and the elite athlete willing to kind of do what it takes to you know take the guesswork how they can feel their best how they can recover from injury that's one half of, the, of it the other side is is the personalization of digital media 
And core to that is sports, live sports being the last captive audience, right? And I know you've heard it before, but it's core to how we look at entire side of our thesis, which is sports is the last thing in our lives that refuse to time shift. You don't watch Monday Night Football on Tuesday. You just don't, right? The value of that, we move from linear cable to OTT and streaming, kind of almost ubiquitous across the board, uh, which are where, where it will be. Uh, the ability uh, to engage uh, in, in the value of sports is only going to increase as you look through the next decade and beyond. So I absolutely don't believe that's in a bubble. The value of that and live sporting events and the snippets and all of the engagement around that, highly, highly valuable. And it's kind of this secular shift that's really, really going to play into that. Uh, now, I can't on the, the exact pricing for those rights, I'm not going to be able to say, but I know the value of that is going to continue to increase, right? You know, the exact kind of quantum going from three to 15 uh, can be debatable around that. But the value will continue to increase, and there and there's no doubt um, around that uh, in any way. Isaiah, let me take you back to the late '90s, uh, early 2000s. You graduated from Harvard University, cum laude, pre med, with um, your roommate Chris Nowinski, who has been in the papers on the news for the better part of the last three weeks, certainly following that injury to Tua. Talk to us about your involvement with um, with the Concussion Legacy Foundation, with CTE. I know this is something that's near and dear to your heart. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, Chris has been uh, front and center um, uh, in the the Tua discussions I've, uh, as I've watched, like everybody else uh, on on uh, on Twitter and kind of beyond. Um, and you know, us being roommates, uh, you know, Harvard was a different world for me when I. First, first landed there. I grew up in poverty, was homeless for parts of my childhood. So it was like an out of body experience for me to just be there. <laughs> Chris is someone who, uh, that we hit it off early on freshman year and obviously became roommates. He's unbelievably passionate and intelligent and smart about what he wanted to do. He could have got gone into any work. His transition from us being roommates, me going to the NFL, him wrestling in the WWE which is what it was kind of, uh, you know, named at the time. Uh, Harvard and then, Chris. Yeah, yes, Chris. Yeah, Chris Harvard. He Chris played Harvard. the, yeah, the, the snobby, uh, you know, Vince McMahon essentially created a heel, right? A bad guy that was, you know, snooty kind of rich kid personality that uh, looked down on anyone that didn't understand fancy words and fancy understandings about, about everything else. So he created that, played it well. Uh, it made sense. You know, Chris was, uh, you know, our nose tackle was, you know, 310 pounds, but he was also the lead in West Side Story in high school. A lot of people didn't know, know that. So. <laughs> no, wait, wait. What did he play? Which role did he play in West Side Story? I, I have actually never seen West Side Story, so I wouldn't know. Oh. <laughs> no, I know. I've seen video of it, so I could, <laughs> I wish I knew the name of, uh, of the person in it, uh, that he played, but. Whoever the lead is in West Side Story, uh, it was that. And I guess long story short, he was destined for the WWE. Uh, his career got sh cut, cut short three years in, uh, had uh, several concussions uh, in repetition, ended up going on to, to write a book uh, about concussion and the research he had found, and then started the you know uh, Concussion Legacy Institute, uh, concussion like sorry, Concussion Legacy Foundation, that now has really, really looked at uh, lead A awareness as well as research looking at brains post mortem, looking for CTE. 
uh, around that. So having a living brain bank uh, donor registry, as well as looking at brains when people pass away, uh, super important. Uh, I ended up being the one of the first, I actually was the first uh, person to donate my brain while living, um, you know, after I passed away to science and to that, to that. So it's super important for me. My son plays, I've got a, you know, a son that's 18 years old, be playing football in college next year. And it's always front of mind where I want to, I love the game of football. It's offered me a lot, especially from where I came from. How do you make the game as safe as possible? And really that is front of mind for me. Uh, continue that. And I know that's in a lot of people's mind as well as the, you kind of look forward to that. Sorry to go on and on about that, but I wanted to give kind of good context on it. No, I, and you are a brave man because you said, as you are here now, you said, listen, when I pass on, which hopefully will be another 50 years from now, that Absolutely. I'm going to you know, donate my brain. I have to admit, I'm a scaredy cat. I don't know if I could because I've always said when they put me in the ground, I'm coming back as a cockroach because kill me. You can't do it. <laughs> And, and it's like, I really admire that. I mean, it's, you, you know, for something that's as critical as CTE, uh, you are taking care of business and congratulations, uh, for being out in front on that. We really do appreciate that. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's obviously something that, yeah, I've had a front row seat for not only my own career, but with Chris as well. And, um, you know, for, for me, it's a lot more complicated than just the sport not being thrown away. It is an amazing sport and um, it's an amazing teacher and really, really finding that middle ground of how do you make the sport as safe as possible and still continue to really have all of us enjoy uh, football in and of itself. Former NFL player Isaiah Kazavinsky, who is a founding partner now of the VC firm Will Ventures. Isaiah, thank you so much for talking with us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thank you, Michael, Scarlett, and Damian. Appreciate it. This has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. We explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm on Twitter at Scarlett Fu. And I'm on Twitter at D Sassauer. And hey, you can catch our podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And of course, wherever you download your podcast. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.